The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're finishing up, in a sense, the, kind of this mini subsection about God's um, home renovation project, which is the church. And, and how do we, how is God seeking to renovate this world, so to speak, to, so that he can live among us, to live with us? And we have uh, so much division in our world, and the goal really is that we could we could be united with one voice, with one mind, praising our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we want in our church as well. We're seeking to love one another, to, to serve one another. We, we had, I've, I saw people bringing in uh, baby bottles this morning. It's something we're doing, right, to encourage the, those mothers in need in, in this area here through Alpha Women's Center and, and seeking to encourage them as they uh, as they. Think about pregnancy and, and, and bring your baby in this world and that, what that might look like, look like. And so we're encouraging you to do that with the baby bottles if you, if you haven't done that yet. Also, the youth group last week had a great time at camp. Uh, thanks to Jed and to Austin and Kelly Christensen for taking them up there and helping them to have a great time uh, learning the word as well as having some fun together. Um, they left right during that snowstorm on Friday last week, right? And... Uh, got up there safely, uh, and, and then had a great time with a lot of snow. And this, this Wednesday, uh, some of the men from the church went up, to, went up to the camp, actually, because they're um, building a new building up there, and uh, so we hung some doors. So um, we, we really appreciated Bob having the expertise to tell us how to hang the doors, because the, it's all done through volunteers, right? And so not everybody's considering how to frame out a door in such a way that it's actually square. So, so, so you, those guys had to, to take these 60-pound doors and manhandle them into place. That's why we had Chris Wearson along, because he could just pick up the door and move it, and we didn't have any problem with that. But uh, uh, David Fee was, was noticing the details, getting it all right, and uh, Nate Heberl and I just made sure that uh, we stayed out of the way and did tile on the side. But uh, there was one door in particular that was so, as they say, out of plumb that the door couldn't fit in the door frame. We had to literally rip part of the door frame off and then put the door frame in and then re-put re it, re-square re it up. But appreciate the guys putting the time into helping out the camp in that way and, and showing love to the camp and obviously showing love to one another. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, considering um, how... This prayer at the end, because Paul here is, is praying for the Ephesian church and really for all, all churches everywhere that they, would, that they would be able to know something about who God is and what God is doing in the world. Not just to know it intellectually, but know it by faith, know it experientially in such a way that, that they would be a light to the world, that they would be, that God would God's will would be done in and through the church, and that they would be what God wants them to be. And Paul is praying this because he realizes, in some ways, this is not up to us. This is not based on our strength and our wisdom and our ability. It's based on what God is doing in the world. But if you don't know what God is doing in the world, then it's hard for you to cooperate with it to follow it through, and to know how to evaluate success. Have you ever wondered what success looks like? When you're in school, it's fairly easy, right? 
an A plus is success for sure. But then it gets a little more complicated because not some some of us can't you know can't get to that A plus every time, right? So sometimes it's like ah C plus that was good that was success, right? Just, that's okay. This is good for me. Then and or. Success is just getting through your degree, right? Finishing that research project, whatever. But then as you go through life, sometimes you wonder, well, what is really, what does success look like? And here, Paul is, is sharing with us what success to a church is. And he wants us to grasp it because he wants us to know how God is operating in the world. You wouldn't think an ad in Craigslist would help me think this through, but there was an ad that comes from a father who is being dubbed the father of the year, at least for Esquire magazine. He put, a father put his son's 1998 Ford Explorer up for sale in Craigslist with the following ad. I have my son's truck up for sale that I bought him as his first car. He thinks it's cool to drive around with his friends, friends smoking dope and acting all thug, and especially not showing me and my wife the respect we deserve. And so, th- this, is, this is love, right? Is this, the question is, is, is this love, right? Is, is this dad doing the right thing, or is he just upset because his son isn't respecting him? When Esquire magazine reached out to Alan Geiger, is his name, to hear about his unique parenting style, he replied, there's not a book that you can read that will tell you how to raise your children, but just the way I was raised by my father, teach me how to live right and let them know, that they're, let them know when you're upset, but be there for them when they're trying to do better. This is life with his son. Now the question is, 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 is that love, right? Does it feel like love when you're being disciplined, for instance, right? Does it feel like love when it seems like your parents are upset with you for some reason? And in reality, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know when you look at your life if God loves you or not? And Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, wants to get one thing across crystal clear. You are loved. Not based on looking at your life and seeing how it's going. Not based on, hey, did I get an A plus on that test? Not based on, well, I hope my parents love me because if my parents love me, then God loves me. But crystal clear, he wants to get it across that you are loved. And he's praying this because he realizes that we don't always realize that. Does that make sense? We look at our lives, we look at the situations that we're in, we look at the the people that we're around, we look at the things that we see around us, and we don't always think God loves us. And we're going to look into Ephesians chapter 3 this morning and see how Paul is praying that the Ephesian church will realize that God loves them and realize the height and the breadth and the length of that love in such a way that it will help them as he gets into Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 and says, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this. 
not do it out of sense of, if I don't, then God doesn't love me, but from a sense of a deep-seated confidence that God loves me and therefore I can show love to other people. So let's look at this prayer together. And I'm going to have up on the screen as we walk through this, just kind of helping you think through the connections in the text because it's, it's a little confusing as he walks through just putting this all together. So I'm going to make sure. Here we go. So you can look up there. You can look on your, in your Bibles. It says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So this prayer... Is, in some, is, is related back, remember Ephesians 1 through, 3, 1 through 13 is kind of this parenthetical idea. So let's just take the parentheses out for a second and just go back and, and look at the church, right? Starting in verse chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So then you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, the, the parenthesis is to say that the church is not just Israel, it's not just the Gentiles, it's the Gentiles and the church built together, that it's also, the, the parenthesis is saying, this is to show the wisdom of God to the demonic forces that are causing you to doubt God's love, ultimately. And he's saying, whatever family you're from, God the Father is your ultimate father. Whichever family, whichever nation, whichever background you're from, God the Father is your ultimate father, and he is a father of love. He goes on to say that according to the riches of his glory, this father and the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So, the, just, just going to point this out. He's, he starts with, in this prayer, he starts and talks about according to the riches of his glory, and then he ends talking about the glory that would be in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. So he's talking about the glory that God is, is given, and he's saying, God, you have glory and according to those riches of glory that you would show through your love to people the glory, the fame, the honor that both you show to others and is reflected back to yourself. But how great you are. And according to your greatness and your power and your honor, may you grant that... you that he may grant you to be strengthened, right, with power through his spirit. So here the idea is, is that you can say, well, we're, we're believers. We know that God is a God of glory and riches. But evidently he's saying, but you need, some, you need strength. You need strength with power through the spirit. He's saying, as believers, the strength doesn't come from us. The strength doesn't come from our ability to know things or do things. It comes through his spirit 
in our hearts, our inner being, we, we need something that we can't supply on our own. Okay? And he's praying that God would supply that strength. Okay? He goes on then, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the, the thing that we struggle with in times as believers is that we really believe that God wants to live with us, right? He's just said in Ephesians chapter 2, right? He said, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's saying this is what the church is, a place where God can dwell in love, in peace, in harmony with mankind. And you know what we struggle with? We struggle to believe that that is possible, that that is something God really wants. And he's saying, I need to be strengthened with power so that this is really you're, this is really happening in your lives. You'll say, well, if we're believers, then it does happen. Yes, it does, but do we understand it? Do we know it? Does that make sense? Do we really know it? That you, being rooted and grounded in love, so this idea of being rooted and grounded, you could also translate it another way. It's kind of another parenthetical statement of saying, you are, okay? You are rooted and grounded in love, okay? It's another way of saying that this is what it means that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you really believe that, that your roots go down into God's love. They don't go down into God's sympathy or compassion or tolerance. God just tolerates you, you know. I made these people, I guess I better do something with them. You know? it, but it goes down to in his love for you, you're rooted in that, and the, that's the idea of rooted, obviously. And then grounded is, is that a foundational, this is foundational to who you are. It's the rock on which you stand that you, God loves you. And for Christ to dwell in your hearts that's the same idea. They're equivalent ideas. Because here's the kicker, right? In a sense, God, Christ doesn't want to dwell in your heart. He doesn't want to live with you and walk with you if, if you don't know that he loves you. You know, sometimes we live with people and we dwell with people and you know, we don't care if they really know we love them or not, right? In a sense, it's like, well, I just got to, you know, my college roommate, I didn't really care. <laughs> you, know? you know, I had to live with them, and we kind of shared the same space, and we, 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 went to, we ate some stuff together, we did homework together, but uh, did we really care if, did I really care if he felt loved or not? Nah, not really. I mean, we're just roommates. And sometimes that's how people approach God, Right? Like, we kind of kind of dwell in the same universe. We're just living in the same space. God does his thing, I do my thing. Hopefully we're not mad at each other, and everything's okay. But here he's saying, he's saying that you would be rooted and grounded in love, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that you may understand that he is with you, that he is walking with you, that he, he, he delights in, in sharing your morning and in sharing your afternoons and your evenings. He, he lives with you. He dwells with you. 
And that's, I get it, that's, that's why Paul's praying this prayer. That's hard. That's hard when your life is not going the way you expect. That's hard when you look and say, well, these people don't like me, so how can God like me? That's why Paul's praying this, because he wants you to get it. Go on. So that you're rooted and grounded in love, so that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, okay? And this goes back to the the fact that he's bringing into the church one new man out of two. He's bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together, right? And he's saying, not only do I want you to know that God loves you, but that God loves you here in this structure that is the church. That God loves you even as he loves Gentiles, and even as he loves Jews, and even as he loves poor people, and even as he loves rich people, and as he loves all of these people, that you would understand that in this context, in this, in this room, so to speak. Because it's, in some ways it's not enough for you to realize that God loves you, but there's a certain way that God loves you, and he puts you into this body called the church. And he wants you to explore what that means. Ever watched a young, a young child explore their world? They start by putting everything in their mouths. They can't move yet, but anything they can reach, they've learned how to stick in their mouth. Now, what does this taste like? What does that taste like? Anything, right, goes in their mouths. It's the only way they can explore. But then they, they, they're able to sit up, right? And they're, they're, and they're able to then start to walk. And once they're able to walk, then they're like, well, I'm going to go over here. What's going on over there? And I wonder what. And they just walk all over the place. And if you're following a two-year-old, you're like, I'm out of energy really quick. Because all they do is walk around and touch things and then go on to the next thing. Why? Because they're, they're exploring their world. And what are, they're just trying to figure it out. And that's, in a sense, what he's praying for us as believers, as the church, is that we would be able to explore what does it mean that God loves me in, in this place with the Jew that I didn't grow up with or with the Gentile that I despised? How does God love me here in this space? Because he goes on and says, what's interesting here is he just says, what is the breadth and length and depth and height of what? You're like, and then he goes on, because it's like he can't say just of the love of God He's, he has to say it, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. He's like, you have to understand the love of Christ, which is really incomprehensible in a sense. But then he drags it all the way back to this phrase, and this phrase here, which if we, we looked at in more detail, right, a couple of months ago when we looked at the, the filling that's talked about. So if you want to go back to that sermon, you can. But just, again, that, this filling idea is the idea of creation. That God formed, and then he filled creation, right? He made, he made dark and night, and then he filled the universe with stars. He made the land, and then he filled it with plants and animals, right? The, the idea is, is that, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God, so all the things that God is doing that God is wanting to accomplish, he's, he, he's 
he's using us to, in the sense that we ourselves would be filled up with this. That we would see that we're part of this new creation that God is doing. And he's, he's placing all these perfect things into place. You're like, well, I'm not perfect. What do you mean? But he's, he's molding you into perfection. He's, he's turning this art of, this, this thing of beauty and, and amazement, and he's saying, okay, they're not there yet, but I'm putting them in, and I'm going to, we're still going to tweak that a little bit and do that, but, but they're in place here. And so he's, so he's saying, look, I want you to know that God loves you, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, so that you would understand the breadth and length and depth of that love, because as you do that, then all of a sudden, man, this, this is getting good. This is beautiful. This, this is showing off the, the fullness of, and the creativity and the magnificence of who God is. And then he ends it by saying, now to him who is able to do, now in a sense, again, he does this. He says, now to him, and then before he starts talking about what he wants God to be known for or to, to have happen to him, he goes off on him a little bit and says, now to him who is able to do abundantly, far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in us. And in Greek, these words are superlatives. They're not comparisons, like this is better than this. They're superlatives, like this is, this is way more amazing and great than you could ever understand. Now to, the one who can do that, who can do more than you can even imagine, According to his power, you know, that, that, that power that resurrected Christ that's at work in us, according to that kind of power that we could, we could not even imagine how it works, that God who's at work in us, as he's at work in us, may, may glory be to him throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's like the culmination of, of this is God's plan to create this people that he loves, that he lives forever with. And, and God, may you be glorified in us for doing this because, because you are an amazing God to create this place where we can dwell with you and be your people and you can be our God and we can live in awe of who you are forever. I, I can't with my words, right, give you a, a, a great enough sense of what he's saying here. But I want to hit three ideas that are key from the text, okay? Three ideas that are key from the text. The first one is, you are loved. You are loved. This is something that, again, we struggle with. We think sometimes we're accidents. Misfits of genetics. Living in a crazy world where nothing seems to go right. But this is all under God's superintended providence, his grand design. If you have trusted in Christ, you, you, are loved from eternity past to eternity future. 
And there are things that Satan does try to convince us that God doesn't love us. Sometimes it's, it's because we have maybe a bad idea of love. Sometimes we get caught up in, what, in the therapeutic in today's world. That is, we just want everything to kind of be like the, that antiseptic home. Have you ever been in a home where, like, it, everything is clean? Everything is like, there's no germs in this house, you know? And when we think of God's love like that, like, if he lets and, and anything negative or anything that could be harmful, then he doesn't really love me. Because that's kind of how our world views love, right? Like, like you can do whatever you want. I'm just going to make sure that, you know, nothing bad ever happens. But that, that isn't God's love for us. He wants more for us than just to live in a sterile, clean environment. He wants us to enjoy him and enjoy each other. Let me put it this way. Let's think about it this way. Let's imagine that you have a friend. And it seems like that friend every day ignores you. Like, you go to the the effort, the the effort of, of creating this beautiful masterpiece of a painting to put in their room every morning, something that's new every morning. You put it in their room, and they get up, and they never look at it. And, and then you, you go to the trouble. Sometimes, sometimes you go out there, and instead of whatever their flooring is out there in the world, you cover it with white, fluffy whiteness everywhere. It's cold, but it's fluffy and white. It's just different for a few days. It's something new, and they ignore it. You give them meals. You give them eggs and bacon for breakfast. And they don't care. You don't do this not just for one day, not just for 10 days, not just for a thousand days, but for 20,000 days, they don't care. Do you think, if it was just me, if I tried for 100 days and I did all of those things for someone and they ignored me, I think I would stop loving them, right? I would be like, that's enough. I'll just leave them to their boring lives and do my thing. But God doesn't do that. Not only that, but even when we ignore him, not only do we ignore him, we also mistreat other family members. We say mean things about them. We do things that are for our good, even when it hurts someone else. We, we are unkind with our actions and our words to the people that God loves. So not only do we ignore God, we hurt other people that God loves. And I don't know about you, but again, I I can have people ignore me a long time, a hundred days, let's say, right? But if someone hurts someone I love, 
Well, I mean, then it's over, right? <laughs> it's done. It doesn't take one day. <laughs> and in the midst of this, God did not ignore us. God did not leave us. God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? God loves us like that. And God loves us like that not just because he loves us, but because he realizes that there is punishment. God created punishment for those who hurt his creation. That's why he created hell for de the devil and his angels, because those angels are trying to hurt his creation. He wants to punish those, because he loves those he loves. And he sent his, his son... And we sometimes we ignore hell and we think, oh, it doesn't matter that much. It's, it's not that important. No, you have to understand hell and God's hatred and, and, and desire to punish those who hurts the one he's, he loves in order to stand God's love. This is God's love for us, that he would punish those who hurt us and love those who ignore him, who hurt his creation but repent, right? Who say, I, I, I have messed up. I have hurt God's creation. I have, I have ignored God, but it, it was wrong of me to do that. And God, I can't, I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. God says, I don't want you to earn it. And you don't deserve it, but I love you. And if you come to me, right? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, punishment, separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a free gift. This is the love of God that he would extend freely to us, something we cannot earn and have not deserved, but he wants to give it to us eternally, life with him. And that's why Paul here is praying, I want you to understand the gospel. I want you to be able to say, Christ dwells with me. God loves me. Not because my life is going okay. Not because I've earned it. I have no sense of guilt. <laughs> but because in the midst of my guilt that Satan wants to hammer into my face, in the midst of my shame for how my life is going and the decisions I've made, in the midst of those things, this bedrock assurance I have is that God loves me. And that is not something, that is not trivial. That is not just, oh, yeah, I got it, no problem. Satan is out to steal this from you. He con consistently says, look at your life. How is it going? And you look and say, ah, <laughs> I've made some pretty poor decisions. I wish I'd done that better. I wish I'd done this better. He's like, <laughs> God doesn't really love you. Can't you figure it out already? You, you look at your Facebook feed 
And I guarantee you, if you look at your Facebook feed long enough, this is what you'll believe. God does not love me. Why? Because look at all those other people who are having fun out there with their lives, and look at my life. There's that song out there. My kids are singing it a lot right now. We don't talk about Bruno. If you've got kids, you know the reference. If you don't, go watch the movie. I'm not going to sing it because I don't want to get it stuck in your head. Because <laughs> it's already stuck in my head. But we all have family members that we're like, we don't talk about Bruno. We got, oh, that guy's got issues. That guy's got problems. That guy causes problems. Satan wants that, you to think that that's you. That you're the cause of the problems. That you're the issue. And God is saying to you through his word, and especially here in, in, in Ephesians, you are loved. You are chosen. You are adopted. You are redeemed and forgiven. You are made known to you. God has revealed to you what his plan is. You, you have an inheritance that you can't lose reserved in heaven for you. You are sealed Holy Spirit. This is who you are. These are the, the eternal spiritual blessings you have in Christ. He started that way, and he's like, I'm going to go through here, and we're going to talk about the church, because you start getting into the church, and you're like, well, then I don't, I don't feel loved anymore, because look at all the differences. But Paul's had to say it before. He had to say it to the Romans, not just to the Ephesians. Right, he says in Romans chapter 8, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was listening to something the other night about life is suffering. And life is suffering. Guys, I... That guy's idea was better take responsibility for yourself and just carve out a little less regret. A little less sorrow. A little less pain. No, there's something much better than carving out a little less pain and a little less sorrow in this life. And that's knowing that God loves you regardless of your background, regardless of your performance, regardless of your family. God loves you. And you need to know that. And basically, he's saying here in Ephesians chapter 3, what is success in the church? Helping people know God loves them. What is success in a church? Praying and helping people to know that God loves them. Because he goes on to say, you need to grasp how great is that love. He's like, this isn't easy in a church. This is not, this is not straightforward. Because you walk into the church and your first thing you're going to do is compare yourself with everyone else. Well, those people look like they got it more together. <laughs> or hey, maybe I'm better than those people. They, they, look, they don't look like they got it very much together. Right? There's all these comparisons that immediately take place. 
There's, there's thoughts that you have when you think about other people and you think about what's going on and you're looking at your life and you're saying, man, this is, this is a problem. Or sometimes you're looking at the church and you're saying, we're in trouble, we're broken. I'm just going to care about me. I'm just going to take care of me. And what he says here is he says, I pray that you may have strength, that you're able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. He says, this is tough, this is not easy, but I want you to understand that God loves you in, in, this, in this new family that he's created. Where sometimes you can look and say, well, God, why aren't you treating me like that guy? You know, just like Paul and John in, in John chapter 21, or Peter and John, right? Where... Jesus tells Peter, to, for your love for me is going to take you to the cross. And, and John, Peter's like, well, what about that guy? You know, we're always looking around and wondering, well, if God loves me, then he needs to be treating me like so-and-so. Right? Rather than understanding that God loves you from the foundation of the world, he has a unique plan for you. Why would he treat you like everyone else? Why would he say to you, oh, yeah, I'm trying to create something unique, but I'm going to treat you like 99% of the other people in the world so that we're all the same? That doesn't work. God loves you. And that means in the context of the church, you're going to be different from other people. And that actually should help you to see God's love for you, not hurt your sense of God's love for you. Can you imagine? In the New Testament church, right? You had a Jew who grew up knowing God's love, knowing the law, keeping Sabbath, going to temple, you know, reading and studying the law. Yeah, man, look how God loves Jews. And then this Gentile comes into the church and sits down next to him. And Paul is saying to him, when that Gentile sits down next to you, you should be like, look at God's love. It's broader than I thought and it's deeper than I thought. Because God is bringing in people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that Gentile, when they sit down next to that Jew, they're thinking, man, that guy, he grew up with the law, and, and, and he, but he was self-righteous, and he had all these problems because of his relig religious background. Man, look at God's love that can pierce self-righteousness and tradition and help people to see Jesus. And you, when you sit down someone who's different from you, you should, you should see God's love in action. And it should remind you, if God can love them, not because they're bad and evil, but just because God loves them, God can love me too. I don't care my background. I don't care that my performance this week or this year God loves me because he's calling out a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And sometimes, right, we, we say, well, how do, how do I know, you know? And sometimes we depend on the church 
to give us a sense of God's love. Like, okay, if God's supposed to love me through the church, then I'm waiting for somebody in the church to love me. And frankly, God gives us a few of those. But there's something in the passage here that says, in a sense, if you wait for others to love you in the church, you're looking at it wrong. You cannot wait for it. Why? Because it doesn't happen through other people. He says clearly here it happens through his spirit and through faith. This, you don't just get this by looking around and saying, well, how are people loving me? You get this by looking at other people and seeing God's love for them. And then helping you to see God's love for you. I'll just put it this way. If you're waiting for people to love you in the church, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Not because people in the church don't love you, but because you're, you're already setting up this idea of how this should happen. <laughs> and you're oftentimes coming at it from a heart of unforgiveness. God doesn't answer prayers of of from hearts that are, that are saying, well, I'm not going to forgive someone until they forgive me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't work that way. Now, some of you have tried to love others and then said, well, where's the return? Watch just a couple of just maybe helpful thoughts here. Watch for conditional love, right? Sometimes we think, well, I'm going to love someone else and then they're going to love me back. That's not how God loves us. The other thing we do is we, we, we kind of set up how we expect the love to return to us. So we say, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to have them over. Then they're going to have me over, right? Or something like that. You've got you to understand love, love comes in a multitude of ways. So if you expect love to come a certain way and it comes a different way, you won't see it. If you say, oh, I'm expecting people to invite me over, but they're, they're praying for you, they're, they're, they're reaching out to you with a phone call, they're doing different things to show love to you, maybe they bring you a meal or whatever, and the only way you can see love is if they invite you over, then, then you got a problem, right? You're not really seeing God's love for you through them. So, so my encouragement to you in this is don't wait to explore the height and the breadth and the depth of God's love for you in the church. Be more like a two-year-old. Get out there and touch something and say, oh, this is amazing. This is cool. I, I, didn't, I didn't know your background. That's amazing how God loved you like that and God brought you into the church through that. And Man, my story is like this and this is how it happened to me. And Man, it's amazing how different we are and how God is doing something unique in each of us. That's awesome. I was talking to some, oh, this, is, this is more preaching to myself, preaching to maybe people who are in my same stage of life. Uh, I was talking to some older guys going through a book called Being Indistractable, and, and they're just talking about how to live life, and one of the things they, they said in, the, in that was schedule your relationships, and I'm more of a guy that I tend to just want natural relationships to kind of just be spontaneous, right? They just kind of happen, and uh, but, but I've been convicted on that a little bit lately, and, and, and so I was just 
I, I said to those guys, guys, you know, just, what do you think? Because I, f- I feel like, it, 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 you know, when you're, when you're a young parent, you're like, you need other parents. You're like, this is hard. You know? So you, you, you search out other parents and you, you find other parents and you hang out with the other parents because a two-year-old exploring everything is not an easy process, right, to go through. But then I said, but then you get your teen, your get teenagers, and they're in high school, and, and you, you're investing in your kids, and your relationships with other parents tend to fall by the wayside because, hey, you're both investing in your kids. There's just not a lot of time for other things. And, uh, and, and I was like, and so then by the time you kind of get the kids out of the house, by that time you're like, well, what friends do I really have because I really don't hang out with anybody anymore? And they're like, yeah, well, that, at that point you're like, well, I, I've put off... This is their response. So that I've put off kind of doing whatever I want. So by the time I get my kids out of the house, I'm at a point where I'm like, well, what do I want to, what fun do I want to have with my life? I'm going to do things that I enjoy, you know. I'm not hanging out with those people, you know, because they haven't hung out with me. And, and, and you get to a point where then, you know, you get to, you get to your, I don't know, I'm just going to put ages on this, but it's not about age, right? It's about stage of life. But, you know, you get up, up in the empty nester now, and you you get into a retirement, and you're like, who are my friends? Because you stopped investing, spending time with people. You stopped exploring and being like, ooh, oh, it's nice to meet you. You're different from me. We, we, we kind of get to a point as we get older where we're like, I just want people that I know and people that are like me and people that I'm comfortable with. And we need to remember, this is me preaching to me, maybe you are in the same boat, that that God has put so many different people in the world and that I need to be more like a two-year-old exploring the differences and the uniqueness of the people God has made. The last point I'd like to make is that this is to God be the glory for his multi-generational love, right? Because he says this, he says, he says, now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes we look at our lives and we see our weaknesses, we see our failures, we, we, our shame is shouting at us. You're a loser. And we blame our parents, or we blame our kids. Man, I just wish they would be better. We blame others, and we live in a morass of failure and shame. And what this passage is saying is as a believer in Christ, our success is not in ourselves, it's not in the goals we can accomplish. It's not in the legacy we can leave. Our success is found in God's love for us. He loves us. He's at work in us. He's at work through us. And and again, sometimes as Christians, we say, well, I know this. I know God loves me, and I, I need to show that love to others. But again, that's kind of still putting that burden on us. You have to think of it in terms of God showed love to me in the past. He, he gave his son for me. But also, I have this future. God has an inheritance for me. 
Sometimes we forget about that. That there is an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. And sometimes we think we have to earn it. We have to, we have to do a bunch of things to accomplish it. But here what he's got, is, Paul is saying, is that both of those, the past and the future, are in God's hands and are surrounded by God's love. So in the present, right now, I can operate not about getting more of God's love in the future somehow, but I can operate from God's love. Like, this is where I'm at. My past is secure. It's forgiven. It's cleansed. It's, 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 gonna, it's redeemed. My future is set. I know I have an inheritance. I know I'm going to be with God forever. So out of both of those, right now, right here, I can live in God's love. I can share God's love. Why? Because he can do more than I could ask or imagine. He can do far more abundantly than I can ask or imagine. And so rather than living in a life of blame and fear, of failure and shame, we can live in God's love. Because Paul's saying, he doesn't say now, get after it, church. He just says, now to him, this God who's at work, who's created this dwelling place for himself in our hearts and amongst us together, now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than you ask or think, according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church throughout all generations. There's a hymn that goes, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the stars of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole if stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Is that the song you are singing? Is that the reality you are living in? You are loved, eternally secure. And from that love, you can explore and see God's love and share God's love. Now you might be asking, how can, how can we apply this? Now, He's going to apply it, okay? He's going to go to Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. He's going to say, this is how you can live from God's love with other people, okay? But here's just, a, just, just some practical ways to do this. How do you develop a sense of God's love for you if you're like, I don't feel that all the time? Well, how often are you in his word? Just practically, if, if you're not reading God's love letter to us, then it's hard to feel like God loves you, you know? 
And the other thing that you can grasp is how do you grasp that with others? Well, we have community groups. We have core groups. There, there are ways that you can, you can explore the, the multifaceted love of God in your life. Just use a communication card or jump or just send an email to the office and Pastor Chris would love to connect you with one. And man, if we have several going, but I'm sure he would love to have the problem of having to set up several more, right? Because we want you to know God's love for you. And one of the key ways is to experiencing that with other people. You know that dad who sold his son's truck that he bought for him? I think I would phrase it differently than he did. I think I would phrase it, I'm selling my son's truck because the relationship right now is kind of broken and I want to get the relationship back to where it was, where we're loving each other, where we're together once again. Because God does that. His love isn't antiseptic. It's not sterile. It's like, I want to live with you. <laughs> I want to enjoy life with you. Will you enjoy your love and your life with God this week? Will you know you are loved? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this prayer because it reminds us that we struggle with this. We need, through the, the, the eyes of faith and through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, we need to know you love us because we can look around and see our failures. We can see the problems of the world. We can see the, the mistakes we've made and, and the, the desires we wish we had for our lives and be like, ah, how could God ever love this mess? And yet you do. You sent Christ to die for you. And if there's someone here who has not realized you love them, who doesn't, hasn't trusted in what Christ did for them on the cross and dying and then being risen again so that we could know your love, I pray that they would even today understand that you love them in Jesus Christ and trust in Christ's death and resurrection on their behalf and be welcomed into your family. And for those of us who have, who still struggle, we, we still struggle with knowing you love us and we struggle sometimes with knowing you love us with all the different people that are in the church and the way you seem to work differently with different people and then we get comparing and it's a problem and we get afraid and that's a problem and we forget your love for us. I would echo what Paul says. I pray that you would give us strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God to him who is able to do far more abundantly to you. Be glory in the church and through Christ Jesus in all generations forever and ever. 